The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Eleven after eleven o'clock. You're listening to the Talking Point right here on SFM. We're leading the conversation, of course. I'm Kathy Mushalana with you until midday today. So those are just uh, your voice notes in response to the conversation we had with the Gauteng Premier Banyaza Lisufi. Um, I must apologize for the fact that we didn't have the opportunity to open the lines. Um, he will come back to studio next week. And I guarantee that that then will be an opportunity for you as our listeners to directly engage um, with the uh, the premier and ask him some of the questions that you had in mind. I think we had so many um, callers and people that want to wanted to engage him um, that at some point I just had to make a call about then how we proceeded. And I do apologize that that today was not that day, but quite a bit coming out of that conversation. And I think a lot for us to build on then going into next week. For the final hour of the show, uh, we are going to be looking at um, our health feature. And today we're focusing on hypertension, the silent killer, as it is often referred to. Dr. Musima Mabunda is on the line. Dr. Musima, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to your listeners. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Really appreciate the fact that you've made time uh, to speak to us about hypertension. I say that it is often described as the silent killer. Why is it such a silent killer? Um, let me start by thanking you, Kathy, for actually taking time on the show to raise awareness of such a prevalent um, illness that is responsible for many people being unwell and ultimately um, demising. The reason is known as the silent disease or silent killer is that unfortunately, many people that have high blood pressure or hypertension do not know it. I mean, recent stats that I saw suggest that almost half, around about 46% of adults that have hypertension are unaware that they have it, which is why it is days like this are important because we can actually highlight the importance of going to screen regardless of how you feel. And when we look at the symptoms that one often may experience when they have hypertension or high blood pressure, that seems to be a, another big issue, right? That sometimes the symptoms are so similar to so many other illnesses that um, it, it's, it can be misdiagnosed. Yeah, so I think maybe even following on from the point of it being silent is by and large, you will unlikely not have symptoms at all. And, and unfortunately, where you have symptoms that could be attributed to high blood pressure, at that time, it means your blood pressure is significantly high. Um, but to your point, if you're having headaches or you're experiencing blurry vision, you can't quite certain say it's high blood pressure. You would get yourself checked. Um, but for me, the point to drive home is it is silent. It is insidious. You will not know that you have it. So don't rely on symptoms because they're hardly ever there. And if you ever pick up symptoms, you can't quite pinpoint to say, oh, I think I've got hypertension now. Let me go screen. So screening regardless of how we feel regulated. But obviously, if you're feeling unwell, the importance of going to get checked because it could be anything, including high depression. When we look at um, the prevalence rate in a country like South Africa, speak to us about how that breaks down in terms of demographic who is more likely to be suffering from hypertension. Uh, And of course, it's also considered 
um, as one of those diseases that is also a lifestyle disease. So uh, how does mm. that play into the conversation? So it is a very common um, illness, as I said. Uh, before we get to the South Africa stats, um, the World Health Organization estimates that over a billion adults that are aged between 30 and 79 years worldwide have high blood pressure. And the unfortunate part for us living in South Africa is that most most of the people in the stats that I've just highlighted live in low and middle income countries similar to us in South Africa. Um, the stats in South Africa suggest that 44% of men uh, and 46% of women aged 15 years and above have high blood pressure. Um, so you can tell it's not just a global challenge, it also impacts us in South Africa. And I'm almost certain many of us know someone who has high blood pressure one way or the other. I, mean, I know my mom has um, high blood pressure. My late grandmother had high blood pressure as an example. Um, that just shows how pervasive and how common it is. Is it hereditary, speaking of this uh, trail that even you have personally experienced? So many diseases have a genetic predisposition, but I mean, I was listening to, to Dr. Ryan Noach's uh, interview with his cardiologist, right? And they underscored an important point that your genetics, just because you're genetically predisposed doesn't mean you ultimately are going to get the disease, which brings me back to your, your question around the environment and how it influences disease and the lifestyle factors that can um, increase your risk of getting certain illnesses. So specifically in, in high blood pressure, for example, Lifestyle interventions are important. Um, things like eating well um, and as much as you can, fresh fruits and vegetables, so a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, even if they're frozen, and avoiding processed food, packaged foods in as much as you can, trying to eat whole grains, trying to eat very little sodium, in actual facts, trying to not even add so, uh, salt into your diet because many of the foods that we eat, especially if they're preserved, have sodium one way or the other. So that what we eat plays an important role in reducing our risk um, of high blood pressure. I mean, things like eat fish. I love pilchards. Um, I love pilchards. Fish, things like that are quite healthy. Legumes. I know I enjoy lentils quite a bit. So the, the, we, there's a varied options in terms of what you can eat um, from whole grains, fruits, vegetables to reduce your risk. And in line with healthy eating, things like regular exercise, specifically moderate exercise on a regular basis, reduce your risk. And the combination of the two helps you maintain a healthy weight, which also reduces your risk of, of high blood pressure. So I think for me, if one is able to in as much as you can to try and lead as healthy a lifestyle as you can, I know life is not perfect, but in as much as you can, instead of why do you get brown bread, make sure that you, you have plants one way or the other on your plate, cabbage, spinach, butternut, sweet potato, whichever vegetables that appeal to you that you enjoy. Try and move regularly. Stop smoking because it damages your blood vessels among many other complications. When it comes to who should get screened and how often, um, what is the advice that you have for people? So I would encourage anyone who has never ever screened to definitely go and, and, and get screened. You must absolutely go get screened, right? And I'll tell you what I do or what we do in Vitality. In Vitality, we incentivize our members because we know it's, for some people it's just not motivating to wake up and go and get screened, especially if you're feeling, un if you're feeling well. 
So we use incentives to get our members to go and screen, and they screen annually through the Vitality Health Check, as an example. And because that becomes a, a cadence of a routine where every year you go get your health check, even though you might be doing it for incentives, it's still beneficial because you know your numbers. That's the benefit. So for us, the incentives and the rewards are worthwhile because they incentivize the right behavior. And once Musima knows her numbers, she will want to do it next year because I know my mom had it, my grandmother had it. So <laughs> I will make sure that I keep the cadence over and above the reward. So, so outside of that, I would encourage people, also if you go and see your, your clinician, many many clinical practices do this as part of the ordinary vital signs that they do, they usually would also measure your blood pressure as well. So you can make it part of your routine consult so that you don't feel like you're getting out of your way. But the beauty as well is many pharmacies across the country have got blood pressure monitors. You can just go in at a nominal fee. They will measure your blood pressure, including um, government clinics as well. We're in conversation with Dr. Musima Mabunda. We're talking about hypertension for our health feature today. Do you have any particular questions where hypertension is concerned? I'll take your call, 086-000-2032. That's on the studio line and on the WhatsApp line. Uh, you can send those voice notes on 0614-104-107. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. 21 after 11 o'clock, we're focusing on hypertension uh, for our health talk this after, this morning. It's still morning. Dr. Musima Mabunda is on the line. Dr. Mabunda, let's talk about then some of the complications that arise from uncontrolled hypertension. Unfortunately, if high blood pressure is not managed appropriately or if you don't know that you have it um, and it escalates, some of the complications include things like stroke, um, things like heart attack. Um, there's also damage to the kidneys that happen as a result. So it is a systemic disease after all. Do, do people always get put on chronic hypertension medication if their reading is high? And what is the normal course that just just in terms of from the point of diagnosis to treatment to it perhaps being a more chronic condition? So when your blood pressure is above 140 over 90 on two or more occasions, um, your clinician will most likely start interventions that would include the lifestyle interventions that we spoke about, trying to get people to eat healthy and exercise regularly. And if your clinician feels like you will benefit from medication, which many people actually do, uh, and I know my mom is also taking um, medication for high blood pressure, then your clinician will prescribe the various treatments that are available for high blood pressure in line of what they think will work for you. So definitely there are treatments that are available. Don't feel like once you find out that you've got high blood pressure, uh, it's the end of the world. And what I typically would encourage, especially if you've got a medical scheme, many medical schemes have got what they call condition management programs, where once you're diagnosed, you sign up to the program and you get the benefit of what assessments you do, what treatments you get, etc. Then that is managed holistically in that context. So I would strongly encourage anyone, if you think you've got high blood pressure, go to your clinician, get properly assessed. If you get put on treatment, and your doctor does not advise you about this um, condition management program or the benefits that exist associated with medical schemes, I know Discovery Health Medical Scheme has and probably many other schemes would have, then you sign up to that program, then you are guided in terms of how that high blood pressure is managed in conjunction with your clinician and you don't have to second guess what you need to do. Mm. 
one of the the concerns often shared by by those who've been um, diagnosed with hypertension is that often, you know, sometimes people can make a reading can can make a conclusion based on just one reading of one's mm. blood pressure mm. at at a particular time, and you know, I mean, th- this is something that that I've had experience with as well. Uh, you know, I, I had a, a blood pressure that was reading high at a particular point, went to the emergency room, and I was prescribed chronic high blood pressure medication. And yet, that high reading was as a result of just um, a- another issue and and mm. not necessarily that I have hypertension. No, I mean, you raise a very valid and important point in that typically what your clinician would do is make sure that they validate the diagnosis. Even if you screen at a clinic or you've got a blood pressure monitor at home, they would want to see that that reading is sustained on two separate days or even three separate days before they say definitely you have high blood pressure. But obviously, if you show up and your reading is like 180, um, you would be referred on to, to probably an, an acute unit so that you can be managed. But if it's above 140 and it's not like above 160, 180, they would definitely want it on separate occasion because, as you mentioned, blood pressure can go up and down throughout the day for various reasons. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that there is pathology. Would you encourage people, because uh, I see I've got a, a similar question here from uh, Kulazwayo in Ermelo, who also wants to find out if it's normal uh, for a GP to put a patient on high blood pressure chronic medication on a first visit. You know, Would you encourage people to actually ask their doctors about why they, they want to prescribe medication based on just one reading? So I think for me, without having context to, to that scenario, um, a clinician would look holistically at, at an individual. If I present to my GP, they would look at holistically my history, what they know of me, what they see on examination, their reading and what the reading actually is, and a couple of things to come to a conclusion of what they think my problem is and how best to manage it. Um, so, so there is usually context behind the decisions that clinicians would take. But what I think is important um, in a clinical setting and actually anywhere is to always try and get an understanding of what if a doctor says you have got this to understand how they came to that. If you come across information that is contrary to what your clinician is, is uh, suggesting to you, it is very much acceptable to try and clarify your understanding because maybe they see something that um, uh, give them the confidence to say, despite what the guidelines say, based on your reading, based on what I know about you, based on the risk, I actually think this is the best way to act. Because the beauty about being a clinician is they personalize the management and treatment to you based on what they know. So I would definitely encourage anyone to have an open dialogue with your nurse, with your clinical provider to help understand why they came to that decision, especially if it's deviate from what you, you expected. And subsequently, if you get put on medication, many clinicians would actually educate you about what medication they put you on, et cetera. But for me, this is why I always encourage people to sign up to disease management programs uh, because it removes all the work from you. The teams that work for, for medical insurance, at least I can speak for Discover Health Medical Team, got teams of brilliant clinicians and analytical people that put this program together to help you through the journey. And there's also... Um, accessible information that educates you about what the disease is, what constitutes a diagnosis, what kind of treatment journey would you expect? Because then you you have surety 
that you are being managed not only by your clinician, but your clinician in, con- in conjunction with your team. You've got a, a team actually that is behind your, your health and well-being. Let's talk about the treatment options that are available to people. Um, because again, when it comes to treatment, you have a lot of people that also want want to look at alternatives to the chronic medication that sometimes they're often prescribed. So for, for high blood pressure, if your doctor puts you on medication, there definitely would be a reason. There's various classes of um, medication that are used to treat high blood pressure and your clinician will choose based on what works for you. I mean, some of them, like your alpha blockers and alpha beta blockers, they're there to help relax your blood vessels. Some people get beta blockers. Some people get diuretics. I think many people are familiar with diuretics. So there's many classes of um, of pharmacotherapy of treatment, and they've been shown to work. So so I know it's, it's, it feels like it's a light sentence, but I promise you many people live with high blood pressure that is well managed, and they don't need as many medications as one would expect. I'll give you an example where I like using my mom as an example. I know there was a time she used to take two tablets or three, but now she takes only one because she adheres to the guidance and she also tries in as much as life allows her to engage in a healthy lifestyle. So medication works. It helps to control the blood pressure. Um, and I would definitely encourage anyone who has been diagnosed to stick the course and join a program because then you also mm. have the support of a community of people that are going through the same journey as yourself. So you can reverse the impact um, of the disease if you're actually making some of those lifestyle changes where you've been advised to. Dr. Masima, we're going to just take the latest 1130 News headlines. After that, I'll play some of the WhatsApp voice note questions that have come through for you. Good morning with the headlines at 11.30. I am Dinoma Daung. Parliament's International Relations and Cooperation Committee chairperson Subramahuma Pelu says the Pan-African Parliament, PAP, will be an embarrassment if allegations against the PAP president, Fortune Charumbira, are true. Charumbira is facing charges of indecent assault in Zimbabwe. In other news, Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon says ASCOM is not a fitting trial for the ANC, as alleged by the Power Utilities former CEO and the legal counsel for President Cyril Ramaphosa says his rights would be infringed upon if the private prosecution against him were to proceed. This is in relation to the legal action instituted by former President Jacob Zuma last year. A full update follows at the top of the hour. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. Hi, good morning, Kathy, and good morning to the doctor. It's Juan speaking here. Um, yes, Kathy, um, that was very good in, um, information the doctor just dropped on us. Um, I just would like to add that um, I have a friend and he has hypertension, high blood pressure. And uh, about a month ago, I took him to a, to a shopping mall, him and his daughter. And w- when they came out, he said there's something there's... Uh, um, something bad in the air i couldn't smell it his daughter couldn't smell it and he had an upset stomach later during the day um when i spoke to him afterwards he mentioned now nah, it's probably the the fast foods that i've been eating because um, he rolled up on some money and he's been eating for four days non-stop it was pizza it was burgers it was kfc and all that stuff so um bad diet definitely has 
and, 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 and the reaction to your body and is mostly the cause of, of or, or it's the cause of most of these sicknesses and health issues that we have so yes if you have if if, if you go with a more pal uh, um, alkaline diet a more balanced diet a lot of fruits and vegetables and, and, and stuff like that you can reverse it actually you can reduce it you can reverse it if, if you have problems like that and that that is just good diet and good lifestyle uh, choices that you have to make thank you Hashtag SFM Talking Point. Well, Dr. Mabunda, here's one from Tidiso in Bloemfontein who says, I'm a 48-year-old black male. My BMI is 33. I'm fairly active. No previous genetic history. Weekends, I drink uh, three bottles of wine. Suddenly, I experience random episodes of profuse sweating. Is it a sign of high blood pressure? Hi, Kathy. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Um, I think I would encourage uh, the caller um, or the listener and anyone who thinks they might not be feeling well, the first step to take is to actually go get checked. Um, it will not be accurate for anyone telephonically to say, could it or could it not be? So if, if the listener is saying that they are completely feeling unwell, um, they must definitely go get checked because it could be anything especially if they have never been screened for high blood pressure and they don't know. So I think the short answer is please go to see your clinician and oh. go get checked. All right. Gwenan Polokwane, good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Gwena. Yes, I want to ask the doctor there. I've got two questions. Uh, the first one is uh, she says that the, the, this, this uh, disease is uh, prevalent among the low to to middle-income people. Are you with me? Yes, we're listening. Yes, uh, but uh, she doesn't know, she doesn't tell us why it's uh, mostly among the, the middle and uh, low-income people. The other thing is, uh, uh, with, she, the, she talks about uh, eating well, vegetables and so on. But uh, with the economic situation as it is, it's, uh, it's unaffordable among the poor. So this one, I'm, I'm just asking if she may tell me, may, may I be able to sue the government because most of these problems are of the government making. Thank you. Okay. Interesting question there, uh, Gwen. Now, would I be able to sue the government because I'm unable to eat well and therefore it has an impact on my health? Uh, Dr. Mabunda, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you want to respond to this question. Yeah, I think let me try. I'm going to ask two questions and thank you for calling. So, so you're absolutely correct that I quoted statistics from the World Health Organization that at least two-thirds of um, this 1.28 billion adults that have hypertension live in low- and middle-income countries. So that is the stats as they, as they put them forward now. Um, one can purport the main reasons why that, that would be. But I mean, the one that would come to mind right now, and it ties to the point that Gwena mentioned about affordability, uh, a lot of sodium is found in processed food. And most of the processed food is affordable. It's the, it's the relatively affordable food are processed one way or the other, especially convenience food. Uh, but the, the reasons are multifactorial. So I think if you if you think about it broadly and you think about what 
the average person who is on a low income is possibly able to afford and what they would possibly be able to eat, especially if they're looking for convenient food, the options um, are typically processed food and there's a lot of salt. But the stats are correct, which is why we need to take it seriously um, as a country. Uh, and it's not just South Africa, there's a lot of low and middle income countries. It was countries um, that I was talking about. And on the, the challenge of eating well, this is a common and valid question I have to say, right? Because we know that cost is a barrier to healthy eating, uh, amongst other things. And he raises one of the bigger things. I know, like, we speak about a program, Vitality, where we reduce cost for our members. But if you're not on Vitality and you're sitting there and you're listening, um, I can't speak to suing government. But what I, I like uh, saying is if you are able to afford bread, for example, instead of buying white bread, then you buy brown bread. If you're able to afford um, cabbage, then you make sure that you have cabbage in your meal. If you have like a small space in wherever you stay and you can plant, like I know many people have started doing this, where they plant a little bit of spinach or a little bit of um, carrots, etc. If you've got a small space where you can plant for your daily consumption, do do that. Um, and if you are in a position to swap, instead of eating white maize meal and you alternate with, with um, Mabele, do that. So I know it's difficult, it's easier said than done, but where you can opt for a healthier alternative of what you're already buying. I think for me, those are the quick wins. And definitely, I think this conversation goes beyond you, me, Kate, and the listeners. It's a whole country. It's a, across the globe. It's a, it, the solutions involve all of us. And I'm, I've got no doubt that government probably has this on their radar. Um, I'm thinking similar to the sugar tax that was uh, put out a few years ago to try and protect people. There probably would be policy interventions that government continues to look at to make sure that people are healthy. But for me, trying to move from unhealthy to slightly healthier items in whatever thing that you're trying to buy is a small first step that you can take um, to try and make changes within the sphere of, of your own control. All right. Here's another question for you. I, uh, hi, Kathy. I have genetic cholesterol and I'm on medication, but no signs of low or high blood pressure. Will I get high blood pressure eventually one day? Thank you for the question. It is difficult to say, right? So I think the 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 caller who's on medication for cholesterol is probably in a privileged in inverted commas position because they're seeing their clinician regularly. They would probably by now be advised on eating healthy and exercise. And so they're engaging in healthier lifestyle, most likely that reduce the risk of high blood pressure. But I don't think anyone can say hand on heart and say, because you've got this, I can say with certainty that you're going to have that. But encouraging them to continue seeing their clinical um, doctor, uh, clinical, um uh, doctor and adhering to the advice that they give and sticking to their cholesterol medication and also coupling that with a healthier lifestyle should see them in good stead in reducing the risk. Bob in Cape Town says uh, cinnamon decreases high blood pressure. One can use it as a natural alternative to medication. What do you have to say to that? So what I have to say is in, in clinical medicine, we have to recommend um, interventions that have undergone randomized clinical trials and that are uh, registered for that indication. So where there's a new intervention, be it cinnamon or whatever it is, and where someone thinks that it might add value, they would need to demonstrate that in the clinical trial setting so that the effects of that can be isolated. So uh, there hasn't been any guidelines that one has seen to that, but it's fascinating that um, the caller said that. I would definitely recommend in line with the guidelines because everything that is recommended has been shown to have a positive effect. You're eating healthy, low-salt diet, 
and there's nothing wrong with eating cinnamon, by the way. <laughs> I enjoy cinnamon in my in, in my oats, actually. But I would rather say if the, the message is what can you do to reduce your risk of high blood pressure, um, there is in the U.S. they have what they dub the DASH diet, which is in essence what we've been speaking about, where you eat lots of fruit and vegetables as much as you can. You eat whole grain. Um, you eat and uh, you use unsaturated fats, low-sodium food, uh, try and overall reduce your caloric intake. So this general guidance in terms of eating healthy, that is um, tried and tested and supported by guidelines across the globe. And I would aim more on recommending things that align with what the clinical guidelines say. Somebody else wants to know, does insomnia cause high blood pressure? So the causes for high blood pressure, similar to many illnesses, are multifactorial and complex. And if I refer back to um, Dr. Noj's LinkedIn uh, podcast with his cardiologist again, it's multifactorial. But what we know, right, is healthier lifestyle reduce your risk. And if you sleep well, if you exercise, if you eat well, if you don't smoke, you would reduce your risk of getting high blood pressure. So you can't really link causality, but we know there are benefits associated with sleeping well. Because if you don't sleep well, maybe you set a cascade of other events in your day-to-day life that might put you at risk. So so definitely would encourage the caller to say it is important to sleep well. Sleep health has been associated with many chronic conditions um, and is one of the lifestyle factors or lifestyle behaviors that contributes to well-being. John wants to know, doctor, if pork meat is safe to eat and if it's uh, a contributor to, to hypertension. I'm going to start by saying this is my second year that I've been off meat overall, and I'm very happy. Um, and I used to enjoy pork a lot. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to wait, and I have not come across um, any guidance or anything that suggests that pork meat causes hypertension. But if you eat excess calories, uh, wherever you get them from, and you increase your, your, your weight and your BMI, then that is associated with um, with the risk of high blood pressure. But I would be reluctant to say a specific need um, causes high blood pressure. But having said that, I would take the opportunity to say, um, as part of healthy eating and the DASH diet, at least reducing intake of red meat to one, one to twice a week um, and eating lower fat options is always recommended. Mm. What about uh, some of the the diets that then people go on, um, especially your high protein diets, your banting, that's also a quite a high protein diet. Do those increase the risk then of, of hypertension? So I think I can speak to, to what we do with, in Vitality, where we, we align with the, the guidelines where eating a healthy, balanced diet is always the way to go, um, This which is it's your whole grain, your vegetables, your fruits, uh, your low-fat dairy products. I've mentioned lean meats, nuts and seeds, um, like limited servings of fats and oils, and limiting your intake of sweets and added sugar. So I think that the principles of healthy eating is what we would always recommend. Um, we would not, and because there are studies that show that if you adhere to, the, to a healthy balance diet, you reduce your risk overall. Um, I have not seen anything that substantiates that any of, of the diets um, that deviate from what we're speaking about, either increase or reduce risk of, of high blood pressure. But certainly diet is an important factor in health and well-being. And trying to eat a healthy, balanced diet on most days uh, will stand one in good stead and also reduce the risk of disease. And you also feel good on the day as well when you've been eating well.
I think, uh, Dr. Mabunda, I'm going to end it off with this question. Um, some of our listeners wanted to know how often they should do the screening for high blood pressure. So for us in Vitality, we have what we call the annual health check and we incentivize members to go annually. Um, so if you don't see a, a clinician at all, at all, so maybe you can just do a cadence of annually because you don't forget. Uh, but for me, use any interaction with your healthcare professional. If you're going to see your GP and one of the vitals they take, I think you should do it. But I, I like the vitality health check because every year I've got a sending date, so I won't forget. Um, it's easier for me to remember. So for me, that works. And people sometimes even schedule it around their birthdays or around the new year. You find a milestone so that you remember and you forget, and you can use it to say you're investing in your health on your birthday or before your birthday, and you do that. Um, so that would be what I recommend. Fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for your time this morning. Dr. Musiba, Musima Mabunda is, of course, um, the doctor that was helping us navigate our way through understanding hypertension a little bit better. Of course, it also brings us to the end of the show for today. Up next is the book reading, The Talking Point, back with you again tomorrow uh, between 9 and midday. I'm going to leave you with I Am a Man, written and narrated uh, by Dr. Jerry Mufugeng Wa Maketa.